right, everybody, welcome to this episode of Learning the Tropes. I'm your host, Erin, and today I am joined by Meg Cabot, who is author of Enchanted to Meet You, Witches of West Harbor Number 1, which is out right now. Thanks so much for joining me, Meg. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. I'm, uh, I loved this book. <laughs> I'm so, um, I had such a great time reading it. And it was definitely one of those books that like anytime I had like a few minutes while I was like waiting on a Zoom to start or something, I would be like getting a few pages in. Um, I'd love to hear what uh, is this book about? Well, first of all, thank you. That's very kind to say. Um, it is actually about a, well, a plus size witch lives <laughs> in contemporary uh, Connecticut, um, keeping her talents kind of hidden, but she owns a little um, boutique and one of her special talents is that she can style anybody and make them look great in yeah. their clothing. And um, then one day she's at work and uh, a tall handsome stranger comes in and tells her she's the chosen one and she's got to save her town from apocalyptic supernatural destruction. And that's just the beginning. <laughs> I love this book and it taking place in Connecticut means that there is a cameo of the happiest place on earth. And I do want to ask you about this, which is <laughs> going to be do Leonard's. Yeah, I, knew it. I knew that was coming. Yes, of course. You can't talk about Connecticut without talking about Stu Leonard. So yeah. So big Stu Leonard's if anybody who is not lucky enough to live near Stu Leonard's make a trip for it but it's a grocery store <laughs> there are animatronics everywhere yeah. it's it's really hard to explain unless you've experienced it so are like have you experienced Stu Leonard's are you from of course. Connecticut sort of how did no, that come I'm about? not they no, I'm not from Connecticut I have a lot of friends who live there and I lived mm -hmm. in New York for many many years New York City and so obviously you either go to the Hamptons or Fire Island or you go to Connecticut for your for your summer <laughs> fun and uh since a lot of my good friends live in Fairfield and um that's very close to Stu Leonard's that's where we would go and it is like an amusement park but it's also a grocery store so I don't it's very very good place to take kids but adults mm -hmm. enjoy it too Listen, I enjoy it. My husband, uh, my parents live in Connecticut in Fairfield County. And oh, okay. uh, I was with my husband once and I was like, oh, let's go to Stu Leonard's. It's fun. He's like, how can a grocery store be fun? And then. <laughs> yeah, you got to go and then to he went, he was and like, you'll find out. Yeah, exactly. And it was really fun. Um, so obviously that's not really what the book is about. But I did have to just shout out how much I enjoyed seeing it's my favorite place in the world. In the <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. But it just, you know, you want, even though it's a, it's a book that it's a work of fiction mm -hmm. and there's some supernatural elements to it. You want it to be grounded in reality. And so something set in Connecticut, especially that part of Connecticut, they're going to go to Stu Leonard's or somebody's going to mention it. I would oh, imagine. Yeah. You talk about it constantly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in the book, there's a big sort of, um, differentiator for witches of people who are kind of like part of a bloodline of witches and then cottage witches who kind of picked it up at at, uh, at some point during their life. Um, and you have an interesting story because you, the family lore I read is that you are descendants of witches or women who were accused of witchcraft. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Oh, sure. I um, actually didn't know about this for a long time. And then I um, was talking to my aunt and she, and I told her I was writing this book and I have written books in the past with witches in them, but um, this one, she was like, oh, that's so great for you because you know, we have relatives who were witches and <laughs> I did not know that. So of course I had to join Ancestry and big, you know, try to find out if they had been um, executed for witchcraft. And of course they had not, they were just oh, good. practicing witches. But that got me thinking about the whole um, kind of issue that exists in a lot of witch uh, media, which is, are you descended from witches? Mm -hmm. And is that the only way that you have magical powers or can anyone manifest spells on their own? Um, and so that's kind of what the book is arguing for. There's two factions. And one is that you, in order to be a true witch, and this actually, um, has been an issue. I was doing research on it and like the seventies people were talking about this and kind of started like a witch organization. Um, and many people were lobbying for the fact that, no, you don't have to be descended from a witch. You can, if you are, you know, have good intentions and can manifest your own spells, then uh, you're a witch, but it's been up for debate for many, many, probably centuries. 
Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about witchcraft, you know, because it's become so popular in the culture, it feels like in the past few years, the idea of like closed practice versus open practice and kind of how you navigate those um, different things if it is something that you want to explore. So I thought it was interesting that this book kind of tapped into that a little bit. Yeah, and I think that there's um, there's waves of popularity for witches, and mm-hmm. um, I kind of was fascinated by it in maybe even as far back as the 90s when The Craft and Charm, yeah. the first version of Charm came out on the WB. But I, I do find it interesting that when um, women are being oppressed, which is, I feel like, what's happening now and has been right. happening for a few years, there's a resurgence of um, kind of witch media because it's a way that women have traditionally, mostly women, um, found a source of inner power when they were feeling powerless. And and when I was doing my research on this book, which is not a historical, but there there is some reference to stuff that happened in the town in Connecticut, um, you know, in the 1600s, the p- p- real people who were executed for witchcraft tended to almost all be women and mm-hmm. women who, for whatever reason, were disenfranchised. And so it was a form of oppression and also a form of the government taking power over somebody that, for instance, a lot of women I found out had inherited property um, and the men in the town wanted it. But the women were like, well, I'm not marrying you because that was the only way they could get it. And then mm-hmm. they got weirdly accused of witchcraft. So it was very interesting. And then isn't that killed. curious? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Yeah. yeah, and then their property went to the town, and isn't that interesting? Um, yeah, it went to, yeah, exactly. It usually went to a neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting when I was doing my Connecticut research, because I had no idea, and I think many people don't know, I just assumed Salem, Massachusetts was where this whole witch thing started in Puritan mm-hmm. colonial times, but it wasn't. It was Connecticut, and that's where the oh, really? person was executed. Yeah, um, like 50 years before in the Salem witch trials, they were <laughs> executing people in Connecticut, so... There was a big, while I was writing this book and researching it, I found out there was a movement for ancestors of these um, witches or people who had been executed for witchcraft to clear their names. And the government mm-hmm. of Connecticut was like, but we didn't do it. I mean, it was back then we were a colony and the king was responsible. But um, actually this past summer, they they approved it and they cleared everybody's names. And um, that, yeah, it's, the ancestors are happy now. So it's kind of a good thing yeah and so what this is your first adult romance that features witchcraft is that true yeah this is my first adult one i've written other paranormals um for adults Mm -hmm. but they're i think vampires (laughs) (laughs) and there are no witches in that one so and some ghosts i did a a ghost book but um this is the first witch one did ya witch before yeah. And so what ma- like what was the impetus for this book? Sort of what came to you first when deciding to write Jess and uh, Derek's story? Um, wow. That's so, uh, you know, it's always so funny when people ask authors about what inspired their, <laughs> their book because they wrote it so long ago they can never remember. Because <laughs> I wrote it now that it's coming out. I mean, it's true. And we've all moved yeah. on to a new book. And I'm like, wait, why did I write this book? I can't remember. Um, no, I just uh, really wanted to write about... Um, Connecticut, I think, because I have, I like to write about places I've been, unless I'm making the place up, like Genovia in the Princess mm-hmm. Diaries. Um, and I thought witches would be fun. And it's it's kind of, if you're writing a contemporary romance right now, um, it's hard to set it in the real world because there's so much terrible stuff going on and you want to kind of insulate the characters from that. Yeah. So even though this is not like a witchy town, there are a few witches in it, but they're not like out in the open. Um, it's nice to do a nice kind of small Gilmore Girls like autumnal vibe and then throw in some witches and some really bad stuff that's happening, but it's all su- of the supernatural variety as opposed to a catastrophic weather event or any of the other kind of stuff that's happening. Yeah. Well, that's what I loved about the book too, because it was it felt so grounded. It felt so real. And it also felt like if there were witches, this is probably the way things would be going, which I really liked too. Um, I mean, I believe there are witches. So this oh, yeah. is how I think that it goes. But um, I, I don't know about the witches being able to, one of them in the book is able to actually make weather events happen. <laughs> I don't know. That's I, what I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. I was like, 
I would like to be able to have that ability to make the hurricanes coming to Florida go away <laughs> when I was a kid. And I was really into Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I used to um, try to do spells to make it snow so there'd be a snow day in Indiana so I wouldn't have to go to school. None of those ever worked. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. So obviously being descended from a witch means nothing. <laughs> no. Well, at least you weren't oh, like a weather witch. So maybe you were just no, a different yeah. kind of witch. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm more of a writer witch if there's such a thing. Well, yeah. I mean, you're very a very prolific writer, so I think if there is a writer witch, then it would probably be. <laughs> Thank you. That means so much. I take that uh, as a huge compliment. Oh, no. I mean, obviously. Yeah, you should. And so every chapter starts with a little spell or um, from this book that Jess gets when she's a kid. Um, did you research those spells? Did you kind of make them up on your own? I know you put a disclaimer in the book that these spells... <laughs> may or may not work <laughs> they are actually all based on real spells from mm -hmm. um historical documents from around the time so what happens in the book is that jessica finds a um i mean basically it's a, a grimoire is what they would call it but really it's kind of like a recipe book from the puritan mm -hmm. days from a resident who lived in her town and um but the recipes are spells and they are all truly based on spells from around that time period. So it would have been the 1600s and I did research extensively. Um, and so everything that's in the, in the spells does have, it's imbued with some kind of magical power or associated with something. So I think that there's a thing that says you should plant um, a type of flower in front of your house and that will bring you, Oh, marigolds. You should, plant marigolds because they will bring you gold and that actually mm -hmm. is a saying from um really long time ago and yeah exists in books that you can still find today a lot interestingly a lot of these books were books that men wrote and then they hid from everybody from the women they were kind of gatekeeping the powers um but now they've obviously they're on the internet so you can find them um yeah i that that was so great and just kind of yeah with all of the different ways that the witches were able to manifest their or uh experience their kind of spell work and everything like that so what kind of research did you do into yeah into witches modern or historical i mean oh, i spent a lot of time on uh i spent a lot of time on witch talk which yes. is the more modern version yeah um a lot of those spells i was like i don't based on my research i'm not sure that one would work but um and there it was really interesting because there is so much going you know there is so much going on with um younger witches versus the older more established witches who use um more traditional spells and so i really wanted to kind of write about that a little bit only in my mm -hmm. book i made it that there's an organization that kind of runs the witch world or they think they do and they're they're like, you can only be a witch if you have de are descended from witch. And Jessica, our, our heroine, is not. But she does feel like she can manifest um, different goals. And she does. And so she's kind of an outlier witch, not in their organization. And um, there actually was an organization like that, as I found out during my, my research. Um, they were much more open and, and kind of kind than the, um, the fictional one that I've written about. But... Um, yeah, and the things that there were lots of little arguments that I enjoyed reading about. Like, for instance, sage is very controversial because if you mm -hmm. sage your house now, um, sage is actually becoming harder and harder to find because so many people are using sage. And I think even like Urban Outfitters had like a witch kit that you could buy um, that had sage in it, and they were mass producing these. Um, and that now there, it's really really difficult to find sage. So um, there's a lot of movement towards don't. No, there's other things that work. Don't use that. Let's leave that for the people who actually use it in their religious practices like the Native Americans. So that was really interesting to read about. So yeah, in answer to your question, I did a lot of research. But not <laughs> no, all of it ended up that. in the book. Very little of it ended up in the book, but it was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's what I appreciated. It all did feel very rooted and, and made a lot of sense. And also just that Jessica's kind of power was... Um, being able to make women feel good in the clothes that they were wearing. And it seemed to, uh, even if she changed the clothes, it, it was so subtle, but it was just about kind of bringing that joy to them. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your decision to have her be a plus size witch, but then have that be her 
um, specialty, I guess. Yeah. But, but no, because she, she works on quite a bit. Yeah. It's hard to find clothes that look good, especially if you are plus size yourself. I've been like every size mm -hmm. and I'm shocked constantly at how so much, so much of fashion is, I mean, we, and we all know this, it's geared towards much thinner people and doesn't look good or it sometimes isn't even made in sizes for um, larger women. And I do have a couple of places that I like to go shop. And the, one of the, um, I'm not saying I based Jessica on her, but one of the uh, shop owners is really good at finding things for any body type and helping you feel good in it and shops with that in mind. And mm -hmm. so I just thought that that is such a great, every time I go in there, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I look so good. But only because she styled me. And um, I'm like, only I had that magical power. <laughs> I'm not sure it's a magical power. It's more of a skill, but in my yeah. book, it's a magical power. She makes everybody feel good and look good in clothes, which unfortunately I think does happen so little in real life. Well, yeah, especially I think because the idea of making clothes for a larger body, a lot of people are just like, just make the pattern bigger. And they don't take into uh, consideration kind of like how then the clothes will fit somebody who looks right, you know, who's not just a right. size too expanded. Um, exactly. Something else that I le loved about this book is, you know, we joke all the time about romance heroes always having a bad dad, like they all have bad dads. <laughs> Or like daddy issues. <laughs> I never even thought of that, but you're right. Yes, exactly. They do. Um, not giving anything away. Derek <laughs> is the rare hero with mommy issues. <laughs> he does have mommy issues. He really does. And um, yeah, the poor guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about, yeah, like the creation of Derek and, and kind of what, uh, especially, you know, which is being majority of the time being women um I thought that having him have a maternal wound was so interesting for <laughs> kind of like what the book was about oh thank you you know um I think that that was rooted more in the fact that all the guys that I know have mommy issues but <laughs> in this case it's because the moms in, in and also in the case of most of the men that I know their moms are so strong like they have mm -hmm. they're very strong um minded and strong-willed and how you, um, are, and in many cases, they've been raised by a single mom, which, so you're going to have to be strong-willed and strong-minded to, to do that. And um, so they love their mothers, but at the same time, their mother is like a force to be reckoned with. And I loved, uh, I loved writing that and giving, giving that to Derek because um, he needed it. <laughs> And then Jessica has to deal with it too. So yeah, I had a very, I, my mother-in-law has passed away, but she's very, very, um, influential force in our lives and a couple mm -hmm. other guys that I've dated had the same thing and I don't know if it's because like I'm attracted to guys who have strong women strong mothers or um if it's just happening more in the world I, I think I think it's both that's so interesting yeah being a because guys who have that like men with strong sister relationships or strong like mother relationships like you always can pick them out they always are a little bit different yeah, so. I think that they're, for the most part, they're more empathetic. Mm -hmm. And um, Derek is extremely empathetic in the book. And um, they they also are kind of more curious about the world and just more open. That's a vast generalization. But <laughs> I do think that that's the kind of person that I would be attracted to. So I gave that to Jessica because her first boyfriend, which is th that relationship is described in the book through diary entries from her teenage years, is a huge disaster, which is partly because she does a love spell on the poor guy without consent, which a teenager would do. Um, she didn't know any better at that time. But um, also because the guy is just, you know, he's just clueless and he's not, so he wasn't a good fit for her. Um, mm -hmm. he's not, there's nothing wrong with him necessarily, but he's just um, not curious about life and he's not... Um, you know, as empathetic because he just doesn't know any better. I, yeah, I loved that as well because, yeah, a, a teenager would do something that boneheaded and not be like, well, there's a reason. But then it's kind of revealed that he maybe already had a crush on her and she was just kind of amplifying oh, yeah. something that already existed um, and then has to deal with the repercussions of that for the rest of her life, it seems like. Or yes. at least until well, the yeah. events of the book. And that's what's I that's what's fun about writing about a small town is if you still mm -hmm. live in the town where you grew up and it's a small town, you're gonna constantly see your exes at Stu Leonard's or which is what happens, or wherever <laughs> um you happen to go, that your ex is gonna be there. And um 
it's awkward. And actually living in QS, like I do, it's such a small island. And I know so many single people who basically will not date on the island because of that. They don't want to have to run into their ex. So they leave the island to date or they only date like tourists, um, which I think is such a interesting problem to have. And if you go on like any kind of matchmaking uh, app that all of your exes are on there. <laughs> so, I kind of wanted Jessica to have to experience that as well. But unless she has the added um, detriment of being a witch and wanting to be open about it with her partners. And it's like mm-hmm. very, very few guys apparently in Connecticut are into that. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your kind of writing process. Like, obviously, you know, you've written so much, um, sort of how do ideas come to you? Like, how do you set up your day for writing? Kind of like, what is your process? Yeah. I mean, usually when I get an idea for a book, it's something that I hang on to for a long time, more than a year. I will think about Mm -hmm. it and kind of try to figure out how this, I usually come up with a plot first and then I, um, try to find a character that would be fun to put into that, that situation. So in this book, I really was interested in kind of the chosen one trope. I love that trope. I love like anything to do with somebody coming and telling the um, main character that they are very special <laughs> and that only they can help the, the situation. So I wanted mm-hmm. to put um, a character in that situation and have it be supernatural. Um, I was originally going to do like an exorcism, like some somebody has to, cause I love, media about exorcisms um but my editor was like no <laughs> it's a little dark <laughs> you know it's a child who's possessed by the devil i don't know if, we're yeah. gonna go, if we should go there in a rom-com <laughs> so i'm holding that one though maybe someday but so yeah so then i just decided well instead of helping a child she has to help her whole town and mm-hmm. um from this malevolent force and um, using witchcraft so that idea i sat on and obviously i talked to my editor about it and then um eventually was given the okay to write about it and um then my writing schedule is just like a nine to five i mean it's very boring (laughs) everybody always asks writers how they how they do it and it's literally you have to just sit in the chair or wherever you're writing and uh, get done i wrote a lot of this book on my phone for some reason because um there's so many there's so many distractions on my computer. I don't know why I don't have distractions on my phone. It's not set up very well, I think. Um, but yes, yeah, so I was writing it in notes during when I had, kind of like you were reading it when I had some <laughs> free time and um, anytime that I was waiting in a line and it ended up then I would put it into a Word document and go through it and make it kind of more even, hopefully. And that's how I did it. And then I turned it in late as always. So the sequel's late too. <laughs> That's my life. It's been my life for like almost 30 years. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest thing. Like you say, if if it's a nine to five kind of sitting down and, and having that discipline, though, because I know some people just wait to the last minute and then just lock themselves in a room for a while. I'm talking. Yeah, about I do that. Directly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's 100 percent. I always call it going deep undercover, like Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills come to. He's got to go deep, <laughs> deep undercover. And I'm like, I'm going so undercover. No one's going to see me for weeks until I get this out because it's it's due. So yeah. um, that happens. Um, but you plot everything out. It sounds like so you start with the plot and then add in the characters, or is that just yeah? Yeah, no, I do that. For, I've been doing that. I always come up with an idea for the book and then try to populate it with the kind of characters that would be fun. For instance, like to use the princess story as an example, um, Mia is probably the person, the only person who would not want to turn out to be a princess. Like I would love to find out that I'm a princess or a witch, but uh, Mia is so unhappy about it. And I thought that would, that's kind of an interesting twist on that trope of finding Mm -hmm. out your royalty. Um, You're somebody who's like, no, I don't want to, I don't like attention. So um, yeah, that's how I do it. I love that. And, and back to Enchanted to Meet You. Um, It's so interesting. Yeah. Thinking about, Mia who doesn't want to be a princess I in the book there's a chosen one so there's a child that Jess has to work with or she's the bringer of light and then Jessica's yes the chosen one. oh yeah <laughs> um Thank <you>. and I <laughs> love that she um she killed me because she was so self-assured that when Jessica was like, oh, you're the bringer of light. She was like, okay, yeah, I can do magic. <laughs> I know. And- She's like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> she had no problem with it. She's like, I'm a Scorpio. I completely would expect for this to happen during Halloween. 
Exactly. And she's so, yeah, confident, like with her girlfriend and everything like that. I, you know, you've been writing about uh, girls in that age range for so long. Sort of how has your view of them kind of changed over time? Um, so yeah, it's my favorite kind of group to write about is teenage girls, yeah. just because they're, I think they're amazing. And, and they, and I've in a position where I've been so lucky because I've been able to watch them, you know, the millennials I was watching and now we've got the Gen Z's and they're just doing so much good in the world. I just love mm. it. Like things. And it's actually happened to me that books that I wrote more than 20 years ago are now being re-edited for today's audiences and stuff that even 20 years ago was kind of the norm, which I think as an example, one thing in the princess diaries was that there was kind of a, a gross teacher who would massage the girl's shoulders when they came up mm. to talk to him. And um, my editor was like, you can't leave that in there because today if a guy did that and the, the girls would tell him to stop and they'd go home and tell their parents and they'd have a huge protest, which back in my day, when I was a teenager, we just never even thought of doing like you just accepted no. this kind of treatment because that's just the way it's always been. And your mother, if you told your mothers, they'd be like, well, just stay away from him. <laughs> Don't, <laughs> why do you even walk near that teacher? So it's so different now. And I love it. It's all because of girls who have felt empowered to go ahead and make change, which is just, I love it. And so I love to write about that, but I'm, I can't really do YA anymore just because I've been out of it for so long. I don't know what's going on in the YA world. And, um, I kind of like to just have the teenage girls be side characters in adult books at this point. Yeah. Well, she's oh, such a wonderful character and, um, talking about the princess diary. So what is the update on number three on the movie? Oh, right. Well, everything is on hold right now because of yeah. the writer's strike and the actor strike. So I don't know. I mean, it's it was kind of geared up to go. Um, and now it'll be however long, an another delay. It was delayed because of the pandemic. And now it's delayed because of this. And, and that's okay. I feel like the more time people have to work on it and get everybody happy and in a good place, um, the better it's going to be. Yeah, definitely. And obviously support the unions and support the actions that they're trying to take. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's just shocking to me when I see, um, you know, that actors and writers are getting absolutely no money for projects that they worked on that are, you know, are just common on, on streaming. And I've watched, and I always watched it with the idea of, Oh, and it's great that they're getting a little bit of residuals for this. And they're totally not. I had no idea. I have friends who are actors who, but they're older and so they were doing not streaming they were doing regular uh movies that apparently you know show up on basic cable a lot and they always get checks like yeah they get little checks for their one line and it's so fun when they do because they're like let's go out with my tiny check but <laughs> the fact that people aren't getting anything in the things that are popular today is shocking to me it's just horrifying yeah I agree. It's uh, it, it's impossible then for their for people to make a living or for there to be basically a middle exactly. class of writers mm -hmm. or actors, which is like yeah. you know we all love our Anne Hathaways, but that's not everybody who's yeah. an actor. That's no. such a small percentage, yeah. right? So. And there's so many supporting roles that are important too, and so um, it's just it's crazy. It's depressing. That's why I wrote about witches. <laughs> Like, I know, just leave that world behind. Exactly. And small business owners who she treats all of her employees well, they all yes, get along. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And yes. I don't think that that's uh, like just a total fantasy. I think that does exist, at least in the world that I know of. But it is yeah. getting harder and harder for those people to find places to live. Because especially if you live in a place like the fictional West Harbor, um, it's a touristy town. So Airbnb is in my imagination, I'm like, oh, Airbnb is probably buying up all those properties and, and renting them to tourists and not to that workers in Jessica's store. So yeah, it's, I hate thinking about it, but you got to. because I know that's so stressful. The idea that Jessica has a bungalow that she owns and is well, able to- Well, she inherited it. Oh, that's from her right. Parents. That's the only way she got it. And she bought, she bought it from them, she says, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure there was a steep discount. Because there's no way she could have like a little cottage on the on the shore, probably mm -hmm. with uh, her salary 
from the shop, maybe, but I don't think so. It was only, it was a parental, a parental deal. She says she does prosperity spells though. So who knows? Yeah. Oh my God. That's true. And she does have the marigolds outside her door. So it might be bringing her gold. That might actually be it. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, that'll solve everything. Then we just, everybody plant marigolds. We'll be, we'll all be <laughs> yeah, fine. Right. Um, and they have to ward off some kind of pests too. So they're good. Even just if they don't bring you uh, riches, they also mm-hmm. ward off. I can't remember what it is, but um, they help with some kind of biting insect. Cool. Well, that's what I love about all of this kind of like <laughs> kitchen, uh, kitchen magic or, you know, things like the, the cottage magic and, garden witches and things like that is a lot of it ends up being rooted in fact like later on where it's sort of like oh you're supposed to plant lavender in your garden lavender is a natural insect repellent yeah things like that that it's just like yeah the reason that people use utilize these things is because they worked and they didn't know why exactly they worked and so it was magic but it doesn't and obviously like not that magic doesn't exist in the world I believe it does. But um, yeah, yeah I, that's what I love about kind of learning about all this kind of stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was really fun, like reading about Earl Grey tea, the bergamot, um, which mm. is a type of orange that's grown in Italy. And so long ago, I would say like the 1700s, when um, people started putting it in tea, um, it was because they lived in and the people who did this were people who lived in massive um, castles or chateaus. And the water that would come, that was available to them tasted terribly rank, <laughs> but the flavor of bergamot um, helped disguise it. So mm. it, it, bergamot is now kind of associated with riches and also gaining prosperity. And you should drink Earl Grey tea because of that. But that's because the people who were originally um, drinking it were rich themselves and were upper class who lived in these fancy homes with terrible water problems. <laughs> and that was really interesting to read about too. But to me, I'm very into that kind of stuff. I thought that was really, really fascinating. Oh no. When she said that, I was like, I should start drinking tea first thing in the morning. <laughs> Earl Grey every morning. Yeah. It I will bring you riches. Apparently. I also didn't realize that bergamot was an orange because I feel like every other romance hero also smells like bergamot. And I'm like, okay, that helps me place the scent. Yeah. Yeah. It's citrus. It's a citrus. I've never had it, but I mean in tea, but not fruit. Um, So obviously, you know, this is a romance podcast. I'd love to hear kind of like how you started reading romance and kind of like what were the first romance novels that you fell in love with? Oh, sure. Well, I had, um, you know, I didn't have the greatest childhood and teenage years growing up because I kind of had like a dysfunctional family. So I would spend most of my time at the library and mm-hmm. um, my Monroe County Public Library in Bloomington, Indiana had huge amounts of romance. Halls. Thankfully, the librarian was super into them. So just these spinning racks of paperback romance. So I started with Harlequin, like many, many of us, um, Harlequin Presents. And then um I moved on to historical romances and just, I was so excited when I got out of the children's section to be <laughs> able to find this pucker because they all featured really strong women who right. were often very empowered even back then. And um, it was great adventure stories and always very female focused with the promise of a happy ending. And that was what I really needed at that time. And so I, have to say, unfortunately, I was a huge Kathleen Woodowitz fan before I kind of realized how off the charts bonkers she was. But um, <laughs> that, that's kind of where I got started. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's a girl, but she's disguised as a boy and he wants to have sex with her. And I was like, this is great. Um, not realizing, you know, that that was maybe also she was like 12 or whatever. It was totally inappropriate. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but it was great. And I have great memories of that. And um at some point I saw Romancing the Stone with uh, Kathleen Turner mm. and she plays a romance novelist in that movie. And I was like, wait, you can do this for a living? This is fantastic. I'm going to do that. So I bought all the books on how to write a romance novel. And I just started writing romance novels. And the first book that I got published was a historical romance under a different name mm. because um, that was my, it's my favorite genre. And I like mysteries too, but I always like mysteries that have a romance in them as well and have maybe like a happy ending with a marriage at the end. So that's kind of hard to find. So I just had to start writing my own. 
Um, amazing. I have a million questions. I also oh, want no. everything to have uh, no, but I, I always I also want everything to always have a kissing scene whenever somebody writes recommends yeah. me a book. I'm like, do they does anybody make out? Because no, exactly. It's so for. important. Like I'm sh- I'm sorry there's a dead body over there. It's very mm-hmm. interesting, but are they gonna fall in love? <laughs> exactly. But there's a warm body over here. I know exactly. they gotta they gotta solve the crime and get married at the end. What was your historical about? Or what um, was the name and title? I have written multiples. I wonder if I have a copy here. I have all my books here, but um, yeah. they just got, they just got, oh, here it is. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, hold on. This is Where, Ro- Where Roses Grow Wild by Patricia Cabot was my mm. first book ever in 1998. And I'm so old, but um, it's about uh, Begin McDougal, who is a very feisty uh, midwife. <laughs> I did a lot of research for that one, who um, of course ends up, being in love with a very handsome duke who is rakish and nice it's also a little debauchery <laughs> but she's so strong-willed she turns him around she's like hey oh my God. you duke this is not we, you need to empower the women who work for you so yeah and it just went on from there not enough midwife heroines i have to say because <laughs> now no yeah there aren't i can't think of any right now I know. And what's shocking is that I wrote this before the internet. So I have no idea how I researched this. I must have checked actual books out um, <laughs> from the library on how, how to deliver a baby in the 1800s <laughs> or how they did it at least, because um, it was, it was rough back then when we couldn't work from home, we had to actually go out and get, look at microfiche and all sorts of stuff. Oh, I thought you say it was rough back then when people were giving birth in the 1800s. I'm like, oh, yes. But also, no computers think, is also tough. I think, I think that was a little rougher, actually. Yeah. They didn't have antibiotics or, um, yeah, or any kind of, like, good painkillers. But, no, it was, I was really referring to, <laughs> to writing in the 90s and the early 2000s when there yeah. was no fast Wi-Fi or even any internet. How did you choose your pen name? Because you were Patricia, what was it? Patricia Cordwell? Patricia Cabot. Patricia <laughs> no, Cabot. Oh, okay. It's it's my middle name. So it was, okay. I just thought, for some reason, I thought my grandma wouldn't find out that I was doing this because they, they're pretty, um, they're pretty lusty. Um, but she did. Of course she did. And she loved it. She's one of my biggest fans. And she actually had like a huge book party for me with all her elderly friends who also turned Stop. out to read rosemary rogers like they had everything and i was like grandma you know about like what sex oh my god but (laughs) she did (laughs) and she had no problem with it which is great well i mean in books i don't know i don't want to and speculate on <laughs> no, like, my grandparents' sex life. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing that I love, too, is everybody, uh, every younger generation thinks the older generation just doesn't know about anything to do with sex or could be interested 100%. in. And it's like, no, that's how we keep getting new generations. It's because they exactly. do know quite a bit about sex. Oh, my God. Yeah. So some of those books that I read that actually found, ended up finding in my grandmother's basement. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, Granny knows about all this stuff. It was great. And more, like stuff I would never write about just because, you know, I'm I'm not that uh, comfortable with it. Grandma was fine. So I didn't have to have a pen name at all. But it's kind of good that I did because then when I started writing YA, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't necessarily want the 12-year-olds or the 10-year-olds to be reading um, those books under the name Make Habit. But they found them anyway. And I think they learned a lot. <laughs> you know what? Of the places where kids can learn about sex, I think romance novels, most for the most oh. part, you know. No, completely, completely. And, um, you know, all this fuss people are making, especially here in Florida, where they're banning books with basically mm. any mention of sexuality at all um, and race, unfortunately. Um, it's ridiculous because the kids who read those books are the ones who end up being obviously the most informed and keep themselves out of trouble um, because they have that information. So I, it's just so backwards to me, but there's so far nothing I can do about it at this point except complain. Well, that's something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like- staying in Florida and voting, you know, it's also Well, no, that is true. That is why I'm still here. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, just in trying to inform the less um, informed people that the the way to keep children from child predators is to have them arm them with this knowledge. Um, but for some reason, they seem to want to keep 
the children from having any information, which is completely strange to me. Yes. <laughs> That's why <laughs> we're in let's go back to the witch world. I know what's happening. Exactly. Well, because that's the thing, too. It's like with romance novels and people always ask me because they know, you know, I do this podcast and I'm a big fan. They are always like, well, don't you think it sets up unrealistic ideas for women? And I'm always like, well, one, women are intelligent. We understand what is fiction and what is not fiction. But also it's like, I don't think that the problem with modern women is that we are like hold men to too high of a standards. You know what I mean? Like if anything, we could raise those standards. And and in romance novels, it's always about like mutual pleasure and communication. And that's always what the couples are working towards. So I'm like, yeah, I think if that's what you expect out of sex or intimate relationships, like you're in a good spot. Like that's what you should be doing. No, I totally agree. And um, I think it's just really important that people also recognize it's a book. You know, when people are reading thrillers with bloodthirsty serial killers, nobody ever says, oh, well, they might go out and commit a crime now because they've got all this in their head. Um, So it's so strange to me that that's always been the kind of the thing that people complain about is sex when there's so much violence that we should be worrying about and and terrible attitudes that um, don't help people in their relationships at all. So, yeah, agreed. Exactly. Or whenever people are like, well, rom-coms or romance, we always know how they're going to end. And I'm like, yeah. And at the end of a yeah. superhero movie, <laughs> this superhero is triumphant. And thank exactly. God, that's what I want. Yeah. Right. Like, well, there's the end so of little, a mystery. The way mm-hmm. I feel is there's so little justice in the world in, in our real life. And, and that's what books are able to give to people or, or media like this is a little bit of a sense that, okay, things are going to be okay, maybe just for these characters, but they worked it out. And it gives you just a little bit of an escape from the actual reality, which is that, you know, there's a pandemic and um, people are losing their jobs and their homes everywhere. And it's uh, this not happening in this particular book so that they can just not think about it for a little while. Yeah. And there's been such a resurgence of, which books in romance right now. And I think, you know, romance always is a bit of a mirror for what's happening in society. You mentioned it a little bit earlier that, you know, when women are oppressed and obviously there's a lot of things happening right now for women, but um, why do you think that this is like now is the time that these stories are all, all coming up? I mean, I think if you really traced um, when the kind of researches of which media started to becoming popular again, it really is 2016. And it's when Mm -hmm. uh, Donald Trump became president and he is very active in trying to oppress women and um, keeping them from having power even over their own bodies. And that was a goal that he stated from the beginning. And um, it has been falling through. And it's just shocking to me how many people don't see it, at least in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's true. I know I'm in my bubble in Brooklyn, which I love. I never right. leave my bubble. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, you don't have to worry so much about that because he actually lived in New York City and people who lived in New York City know what is actually yeah. happening because they experienced it up close. Um, I don't know. It'll take a little while, but I'm pretty sure that Florida is going to wise up. Most, and I mean, in mm-hmm. Key West, we're, we're already very um, on, the, on the ball with that, but uh, with our lesbian mayor and... <laughs> We're working hard to uh, keep the the evil away, but it is, you know, I don't want to get political, but I do think that the whole witch resurgence is definitely political, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so West Harbor has a lesbian mayor. Was that a... Yeah! Oh my God, I forgot! Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, It has been one. a while since you, since yeah, you wrote no, this No, I book. literally do not remember this book. No, it, yes, the lesbian mayor is definitely modeled um, a little bit after after mm-hmm. our fun lesbian mayor here um who's very hard on uh who's very hard on the people who are like no vids and who don't want to vax and that kind of stuff she she was really great during the pandemic oh fantastic it's yeah that must have been amazing to have during what was such a hard time whatever you have yeah so you feel like are actually representing you yeah she did a great job um so this podcast is called Learning the Tropes. I'd love to hear a little bit of your favorite romance tropes. You mentioned historical. Yeah, no, um, I love um, 
I particularly like enemies to lovers. That's always a fun mm-hmm. one. Fake dating has become super popular. And at first I was kind of, oh, I don't like fake dating. But then the more I read, the more I realized I love it. And also how many fake dating previous <laughs> like books and uh, movies that I've watched that I thoroughly enjoyed. So um, that's always really fun. And um, I do like second chance. I love that's always fun when somebody um, runs into somebody that they maybe an ex and rekindle the romance. But there's just really not any that I don't like. I have to <laughs> say, I'm not that choosy. I like it, especially my favorite is that they have to solve a crime together and mm-hmm. learn to work with each other. And then they do. And then they also get married. But, you know, that's, I guess that would be romantic suspense, probably. Yeah. Mystery yeah, I romance. think. Yeah, a mystery romance. Have you written mm-hmm. mystery romances? Uh, I feel like the I wrote a series called the they started with Size Twelve is not fat was the first book in the mm-hmm. series and then um, she works in a dorm and and New York City and uh, kids are just dying all the time and she has to solve the mystery of but then she's also having a ongoing romance with um, a guy that she knows so yeah that's those are re- some really fun books that I enjoyed amazing. Um... I was going to ask if there's a trope that you won't touch that you wouldn't write, but it sounds like no. I I don't want to say that because every time I do, uh, you end up doing it. I I don't know about sci-fi, which isn't really mm-hmm. a trope, but I don't as a genre. Um, I don't know. I, I did kind of do one where a girl got a brain transplant. <laughs> <And so laughs> that was like a whole series where she gets a brain transplant, and I did a lot of brain transplant research <laughs> for those books. So um, that was a little sci-fi, I think. Okay, so there you go. So there isn't then. I guess, That's yeah, no. What I think too, because anytime I'm like, oh, I don't like this trope or I'm bored of this trope, and then you read a book about it and you're like, okay, never mind. This is fantastic. This exactly. Is Somebody does a great job with it and you are completely turned around and you're like, yeah, I love it. It's the great thing about romance. I know. It's the best. <laughs> it's, a, it's I love it so much. Yeah, me too. Um, what have you read lately that you've loved? Oh my gosh. I have been so uh, deep in medical stuff. I I had to have heart surgery. So I was not capable of reading during that time. I was just literally watching Law and Order SVU like every single day and blue blood and like all the propaganda, which was (laughs) um, terrible yet amazing because um, I had no attention span and it really worked. But so I can't, I read The Kiss Curse by Aaron Sterling. Mm-hmm. Um, who also did the X hacks. So I was kind of doing some preparation. And I did read a great book by Maureen Lanker called It Happened One Fight, which is kind of a historical romance, but set in the 1930s, kind of mm-hmm. old Hollywood, which was really fun. And um, mostly then what I've been reading is just incredibly trashy mysteries that uh, were written like in the 70s. <laughs> For some reason, I have a lot of those around the house and um, they, they hold my attention during this trying time of not having an attention span just because they're just so bad I think (laughs) I'm editing in my head as I go along it sounds good okay so is that going to be the next series and is a 1970s crime finding no I would love no that's hilarious fun Oh, they're so sexist. Like the detectives are always like, oh, and then she, this leggy blonde shows up. And of course they have sex. Like that just met (laughs) and uh, there's a murder. Um, But I have to say, I love it. Um, Even though it's incredibly, incredibly sexist and bad. But the, and there's so much smoking. Everybody's smoking and. Uh, no, my next book is actually a sequel to Enchanted to Meet You, which oh, is not going to feature yeah. the same. Yeah, it's not going to have the same main characters, but there's some side characters are now going to come into prominence. And um, of course, the main characters from Enchanted will be in it, but um, they're not going to be the focus because they're already I don't want to give away the ending, <laughs> but I already solved the crime and they're not married yet, but they're maybe um, enjoying some cohabitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. the romance we could say they end up together because if they exactly. don't we'll they totally it. they totally yeah. end up together um i just don't know how marriage-minded they are i haven't figured it out yet um because actually the sequel takes place it starts really like the day that enchanted to meet you ends and they're not quite married yet um they mm-hmm. haven't had time to plan the I wedding i mean let them so date maybe- for like a month yeah <laughs> yeah so maybe in um 
maybe in the sequel they'll be planning their wedding. I don't know. But it's literally, yeah, the next day. So, Because it's Jess's younger brother, Evan, right? Um, yes. <laughs> I've, yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay. I'm still, I'm still, like, he's definitely in it and he's a focus, mm-hmm. but I haven't quite figured that out yet. I'm going back and forth. So we'll see. But Would hopefully. You ever- yeah, would you ever have a series of uh, Jess and Derek just traveling to different towns? Maybe that, that could would be, be really fun. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then every single town, I would have to think of some big evil. That's my hard. The hard part for me is thinking of the big evil that they have to fight mm-hmm. because my brain just doesn't go. My brain is more cheerful and happy times. And so I always have to think of something terrible to have happen. Um, and I kind of like them and I don't want them to have any more trauma than they've already experienced in this book. So we'll see what happens. So I'm still, I, the book is obviously due right now and I don't even know what it's going to be about. So I have a lot of uh, going deep undercover to write to do. Okay. Well, I'll give you time to do that. But um, thanks so much for for joining me and and chatting to me. It was so lovely. I loved the book so much. And so everybody go out, buy it right now. It's the perfect cozy autumnal read, even though this September is quite warm. (laughs) I know. You'll feel like it's colder. Um, It's a good escape. It's a good escape because they have to wear sweaters and have fires and drink cozy drinks. So Exactly. Uh, It's where you want to be. But how can people find you, follow you, find out what's happening next? Yeah, just visit uh, MegCabot.com. And Mm -hmm. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and all of the normal things that people are on. And um, that's where I'll be posting any news. And you can get the book anywhere, I think, at this point. It should be, um, I know it's out in England and it's out here in Canada. Um, So yeah. And there, it's available in ebook form and also audio. So it's it's everywhere, like witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Listen, this explosion of witches couldn't make me happier. And yeah, and this book made me so happy. And thanks so much for chatting with me because this conversation made me so happy. Oh, um, thank you. Me too. Uh, and um, yeah, and so to everybody listening, um, happy reading and we'll see you next time.